Hello and welcome again uh, to another podcast from Irreligiosophy. Uh, today's guest is Eva Wajalushka. Wajalewska. Wajalewski? Wajalewska. <laughs> Anthropology professor at University of Utah. Now we've actually had Eva on the show before, which is why she isn't slapping me for pronouncing her name wrong. She just understands I'm an inept retard. Um, that's how the ancients pronounced that's it. That's how the ancients <laughs> <laughs> So uh, she has actually uh, talked to me about some classes that she is looking to promote up at, up at the U of U. And these classes not only are fascinating, but fit in with irreligiosophy quite well. So away we go. Okay. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice segue. Your first class is Anthropology of Humor. Could you? And Laughter. And laughter. Describe that for things. us. This is a very there, interesting class. There are two different things. Leighton's humor leads to no laughter whatsoever. Yeah. Well, it's it's like your your children. They always laugh and say, "No one laughs. No right. one laughed." That's why it's so but funny. But keep on laughing. It's really good for you. It doesn't matter what you laugh at. But now it's a very interesting class that is actually what it is: it's anthropology of humor and laughter. It is about starts with laughter. What laughter is whether people are the only ones who are laughing. No, we're not the only ones. But the others are very difficult to prove. Of course, you ask any pet owner, and you will find out that they know what their cats and dogs and rats and even snakes are laughing. Snakes are laughing? No, they're not. Not that I know. (laughs) But the owner of a snake, I'm sure he will swear up and down, because women will not have snakes. But the snake is laughing. But anyway... And so it is about human laughter. What does it for us? Why do we have it? Where does it start? And how it circulates through the body? So it is a little bit about neurology. Neuroimmunology is about depression and antidepression. It's about medical problems that can be helped with using laughter and many other things. Then, of course, we move to humor. We discuss different techniques of humor, and we focus on minority groups uh, in the United States, but not only, and about humor about them, of them, and by them. So it's essentially a racist class. That's what it sounds like. Are you guys making fun of all the chinks out there? Oh, God. (laughs) Let Let me put it this way. This is a class which is being taught by a professor who can be a bad of many jokes. I'm Polish. <laughs> Anyone with a joke? I hear a flashlight. Coming. I am blonde. Blonde? Yep. I am a woman. I'm an absent-minded professor. And a couple of other things. So, you know, variety of jokes can be made about me, but my students don't want to do it. I actually had an idea to make an assignment for my students that they can write a joke about me. You know, Nobody wanted to yeah, do that. Yeah, that's dangerous. Charlie and I could actually make fun of you. I'm sure we could come up with Oh, I'm sure you can. <laughs> yeah. because and then of you course. can grade Leighton on his... Uh... I like this idea. <laughs> we'll sign for the class. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, on top of everything, you have to mention that I speak with an accent, just in case if you haven't noticed. So but... how about giving us an example of a minority-type humor? Well, it's that different types because different minorities are popular at different times. 
So Polish jokes, unfortunately for Poles, are going out of fashion. They are being replaced, for example, by Mexican jokes. And, of course, there are always present Jewish jokes, which are very different than many other jokes, because many of those jokes and humorous situations were created by Jews themselves. That was a coping strategy for this ethnic group that had to endure a lot of tragedies throughout history of their existence. So one of the coping strategies that they developed, starting with the Bible and Talmud, is humor. And of course we talk about humor that can be called black humor, or it could be called African-American humor, <laughs> or actually we can go back to the origin of this humor, which is known in very inappropriate from today as Negro humor, associated with Minster of humor. It changes, it changes all the time, and it has been created both by people, by whites, about the blacks, and by blacks, about themselves, and about the whites, and the perception of a stereotype, stereotyping stereotype. So it is very interesting because many people do not realize that humor is also about education. It actually can get through to people much faster by using humor and making a point than uh, trying to educate them about something and lecturing them. So humor is being used to resolve all sorts of conflicts. So essentially, in this class it consists of you guys watching the Chris Rock show. <laughs> I think that my students would love this idea to have it on all the time. I'm thinking I've got uh, a joke for each one oh of those groups, so I should come to your class as a guest. Well, <laughs> actually, that's not a bad idea. I can take the challenge. That is a bad I, idea. I really like that. Of course, Charlie is has no opinion idea. because he's known me for much longer than you have. <laughs> you want complaints? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm always very clean and professional in my joking manner. <laughs> but remember one thing. You know, students who will be in this class are warned that this class is very offensive because humor is very offensive. Remember, if cats and dogs could sue, they will sue us for making jokes about them. And all these videos on Internet with cats falling down or anything like that, of course they will sue you for that. But they cannot. But humor is very offensive. Have you had so complaints? It is on, well, I don't have complaints because I start this class with the disclaimer, with the warning, and with showing a few videos to prepare students who is going to be there. And then I let students to decide for themselves if they want to take the class because I cannot teach this class in any effective way without using videos and humorous situations which include a lot of bad words uh, situations that might be uncomfortable to people, humor about religion, for example, humor about sex and sexual humor, gender humor, and of course, as you know, ethnic humor. All this stuff is very offensive. So, only students who decide to stay in the class, they are there. So, they don't get offended very easily and they are ready to roll. And they are ready to take someone like Leighton and overanalyze him <laughs> and his sense of humor. But it is, you know, it would be, ni it would be nice if, this only, if only watching videos and so on. But it's talking about it. And 
actually realizing and all things. Not long time ago, I had a great discussion with my students when I asked them, how do you identify yourself? Who are you? Are you an American? And then you just suddenly people started to realize that, yeah, I'm an American, but I don't think this way. I don't think that way. And we had this huge discussion what defines ethnic group, what defines your personal identity. And everything started because of humor and videos that I was using. So it's to show that actually, let's put it this way, maybe Mother Nature gave laughter and humor to us to cope with all different things in life, whether they are social, political, economical, emotional, mental, and physical. So we are learning a lot through discussing humor and different kinds of humor, and we are having a lot of fun but it's very offensive. So remember, again, it's very, very offensive. <laughs> you know, Eva, you, you had me sold on the class until you mentioned that I had to think, and that is not my strong suit. So. <laughs> should we, well, we should probably uh, have you say the most offensive joke that you ever shared with your class. You probably should, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I had a few very offensive ones pop up in my head. But it is, you know, the thinking part. I like that you called on the thinking part, because this class is such that, believe it or not, you cannot plagiarize. It won't happen, because I'm asking about what you read in it. And how do you explain it? I'm, well, for example, one of the assignments is Thank You for Smoking movie. Have you seen this movie? Mm -mm. You must be kidding. <laughs> to watch it. Yeah, you got it? No, no, no. It's this two is, hours, so I think we don't... This is an actual have, movie. It's actually a real movie. Yeah, it's I a saw real it. Movie. Movie. And it's a great movie. So yeah, you really yeah. should watch it. Many of my students did watch it in the past, but I asked them to watch it again. And I asked them, if, is this movie really about smoking? Can you replace the title and uh, have a movie, Thank You for Overeating. Thank you for having too many children. Thank you for not having children. Thank you for, and so on, so on. Well, the message of this movie will change. And what is the message? And why this movie is really funny? It's kind of amazing when you have students who watch this movie before, now they watch it again after we discuss different issues and so on, and they understand this movie much better, and they come up with these new ideas. And the class finishes up with a simple question. Well, what is, you know, is freedom of speech good? Freedom of artistic impression, is it always good? Or, well, should we censor some stuff because humor, or, you know, it's offensive, leads to hate? What do you think, Layden? Well, actually, you got me thinking about something that the UN is trying to do, the anti-heresy laws. And uh, your class kind of goes against this, because some of the videos you showed us before we even started the recording would be construed as heretical and therefore go against what the UN is trying to put forward. Have you even heard of that? No. Yeah. I have no time. I'm preparing three classes for the next oh. <laughs> Blasphemy. Blasphemy, yeah, it's heresies. Oh, excuse heresies. me, blasphemy. <laughs> Close it's all the same. Blasphemy, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, you will do well. In <laughs> I'll be on par with the rest of your students. That's well, not saying much. Wishful thinking. Yeah, oh, on oh. par. 
but, but seriously, the the UN is trying to put forth these anti-blasphemy laws due to uh, Islam and everything else like that, uh, finding offense by, uh, uh, what's their special God's name? Uh, Allah? No, the uh, Prophet. Muhammad? That's the one. Because I, I, I mean, sure. Cartoon. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. That's, okay. that's awesome. That's uh, bad. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, because someone up in England was doing a cartoon about Muhammad or Denmark. something like that. My God. My, You're killing well, exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know where it is. 2005. Yeah. Denmark. Denmark. You guys know more about this than why am I talking about it? Why are you talking? I have talking? no idea why you're talking about it. I heard about it on a it. podcast that we're making fun of, so that's about as close as I paid attention to it. Danish newspaper. Jutland uh, News, I believe that's called, published a series of cartoons about Prophet Muhammad and Islam. The idea was, as it was explained by the editor, that because there are many Muslims in Denmark and they are included in Danish society and everybody is equal in Denmark, that they make fun of everyone. So having a series of his cartoons published was the Danish attempt to show that the Muslims are part of the society. They contacted a lot of cartoonists in Denmark to offer their cartoons for the newspaper. Many of them turned it down because they were afraid in the present political situation is going to lead to the disaster. Others believed in freedom of speech and believed that this is a way to show that the Muslim community is very much included. Well, and what happened was, when these cartoons were run, and they are, from point of view of many Westerners, not offensive whatsoever, because much worse things were being said about Christianity, about uh, Judaism, and so on, the reaction in the Muslim world was humongous. Well, a lot, you know, quite a few embassies were of Scandinavian countries because, you know, Denmark, Norway, same thing. For many people, <laughs> yep, like for later. No, no, that's yes. Charlie. He's the one that screwed up Sweden and Switzerland. <laughs> so I you know my geography. I know my geography. He does not. Okay. So They both start with SW. Close enough. So same anyway, region. to make a long story short, many people got killed, many people got injured during the process. Embassies were burned. It, it was... Yeah, it was not a very wise move. And the, of course, discussion is, what is the problem? Because why we should care about what Muslim thinks when we do make the same jokes about our own religions and so on? And this is something that we discuss in the class. Now, it should be noted that it is blasphemous to have any images of Muhammad. Um, and not only Muhammad. Actually, Islam does not allow you for any images of any figural presentations because, as the Hadiths say, it's uh, the word which is being used is the word which uh, means to create, and only Allah can create. So according to the Hadiths, all figural representations are not allowed in Islamic um, art, work, and so on. The truth is, they are being shown. You can see them in each and every Muslim country from the leaders of his countries to even occasional presentations of Muhammad. But they are allowed by Islam. They're not allowed by Islam. That's what I meant. Yeah, there's a um, movie, I think, that, that's going to be on the life of Muhammad. 
which will be very interesting to see if they show Muhammad at all. There have been some thoughts that maybe it'll be first person, like the camera will be Muhammad's eyes, for precisely that reason, because it's blasphemous to, to show pictures of him. But I think that, that hits the heart of how much you value free speech. Do you value free speech only when you agree with it, or um, do you value free speech even when it hurts other people? Um, no, well, that's a question which I ask my students by showing different videos. To give you another example, everybody's seen Borat, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many people heard about Kazakhstan before Borat? Me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Except I've been in that region of the country, or the world, so... Where have you been? You've never been in Kazakhstan. I was in Kazakhstan. You know what? Why are you arguing with me? <laughs> you, never were, you never were in Kazakhstan. I, I didn't say I was in Kazakhstan. So where have you been? Near. You know near I'm Kazakhstan. not even talking near. to you. <laughs> I near said where? I was near. near where? I'm not talking to you anymore. Near where? You know what? I brought up a topic. Let's continue <laughs> with the topic. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been in Kazakhstan. And at one point in my life, I even tried to speak Kazakh. But coming back to Borat, nobody heard about Kazakhstan before Borat. What they heard from Borat was not very good for Kazakhstan. And Kazakhstan government tried to change this perception, which of course didn't help. Borat was a great movie and many people hated. <laughs> As we all know, that exposed a lot of things in the United States. That anti-Semitism is very much alive and many other things. I really love this movie. Then I decided I'm going to see Bruno. <laughs> Bruno, I don't like. And I tell you why. Because Bruno reminds me about a comedian who calls himself Amazing Racist. Oh, I've seen him. Yeah. Yes. And let me put it this way. This type of humor, and I'm very tolerant, I'm sitting with you guys. <laughs> and, Which she disputed for a long your, time. She thought hard about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this type of humor, as represented by Amazing Graces, leads to violence. You know, a Jewish white guy puts on Ku Klux Klan clothes and goes to the most dangerous district in Los Angeles with the black population and asks to borrow gasoline because he wants to burn something. Yeah, at this point he's dragging around a large wooden cross. I see. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Get himself is it funny yeah. what kind of a message is right there? This is why I didn't like Bruno, because the situation in which he brings, he brings a little black child to the all-black audience and answers, well, I gave him, you know, the typical uh, African-American name. OJ. OJ. And then he's, <laughs> and then he's surprised that the reaction of the public is the way how it is. So, you know, there's one thing to expose things, there's another thing to provoke things. Sure, um, but the real question is, even though you don't like it, should this speech be allowed to enter into the public sphere? And I would say yes. Let me ask you another question. I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes. <laughs> let me ask you another you question. Yeah, definitely a no, let, you know, yeah. the thing is very simple. How do you define hate? That's a good question. Leighton? I thought it was rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for her to continue. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we have hate laws in the United States. Sure, yeah. And how we are going to apply them. The, the definition, I think, of, of the hate speech or hate crimes is that it's against, say, an individual per se, but it's representative to the entire race, right? It is to intimidate and scare and uh, impart fear into me members of that entire group. For example, um, Matthew Shepard or... Um, I can't remember any the cross burning, for example, on a on a, on a lawn black or, person's lawn. Yeah. That's not really directed toward that one person. It's directed toward the entire race. That's kind of what hate speech. Well, hate yes. Crime is. So why the amazing races is still walking and being paid big money and has a well over one million followers? I mean, if he is putting forward a video in which, you know, some people, if you, if you read the responses to this video, think it's instructional video, because in one of his humor situations, he is lying to illegal immigrants that he's offering them a job and takes them to his truck, drives them, and I drops them off in front of immigration office. And then laughs, and of course he insults them during this period of time and so on. Is it hate? Is it humor? And how far freedom of speech or artistic freedom is supposed to go? That's a good question. When some people look at this stuff and go, oh, that's an instruction. That's what we need to do to all the Mexicans, to all the black people, to all this and that and so on. It kind of reminds me of bum fights. Have you ever heard of that? Basically, this group of uh, guys got around with a video camera they walked around and they would give bums five bucks to beat the shit out of each other. Or oh, to, like uh, to smash their head through plate glass windows, things like that. And actually it caused a great controversy. And if I'm not mistaken, they got sued and lost a lot of money over the entire situation because it was deemed they were taking advantage of these bums because they were in need and needed that money. I mean, at one point I saw uh, one particular video of bum fights where one bum was sitting there sleeping on the ground, the other came up and broke the bum's arm that was sleeping on the ground. And that uh... He's part of the problem. He's downloading these videos. <laughs> Not me. As you recall, my childhood friend who f screwed me over I got quite you. royally. I got you. Yes, I got that's yeah, you where always I saw. blame it on the family or friends <laughs> or neighbors or coworkers. Well, that's why I keep you around. I get to blame so much on you. Let's I let's know. move to neurology because you mentioned neurology is part of the um, part of the class, right? Yes. Um, so quickly, what part of the brain does humor light up when? Uh, it's very complex, so it cannot be done quick, and we are but still working on quickly? it. Uh, obviously, you didn't define quickly <laughs> before getting into the top. All right, but in the time it takes to make your husband a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying I'm offensive. You both are doing pretty well. But let me put it this way, the research is still going on because for many, many years, laughter and humor were considered to be not really serious topics. I mean, humor was the, dealt by psychologists mostly. And so, you know, when you dissect the frog, it's not funny anymore. And uh, so, yes, we know a lot about humor, psychological, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of how, why we laugh, how we laugh, when we started to laugh, this is on the last 10 years or less when actually scientists started to do research on this problem because there are a lot of things being involved. 
The thing is that laughter is good for you, but it can kill you too. Well, there are diseases which the symptom of a disease is laughter. Gelastic epilepsy. People cannot control their laughter and laugh all the time. They have 20, 30 attacks a day. Of course, they are not being, they are not being functional. Well, by an accident, not long time ago, we were able, as a scientific word, I had nothing to do with it, but we were able to identify what is possibly center of laughter, which is when you look at your forehead on your left, on your left uh, uh, side, there is a special point right there. We are not really sure. We cannot point it out. It was an accident that happened that allowed us to see that there is a center of laughter. There was a girl who is called in medical literature as AK. She was 16 years at the time or so, and she was having uncontrollable seizures. So they were trying to use uh, man electric manipulation, I just put it very simply, uh, uh, on the head. And by an accident, they touched one part of her brain. And then she started to laugh. And the question is, what are you laughing at? And her answers were, oh, because you are funny. Or, and, so, and they stopped, and it was not that. What it simply means that they were able to start by touching this one point in your brain, induce the laughter, and then she was trying to make up the story to justify Right. But laughter, you, you, can, you don't laugh only when something is funny. You laugh in many other situations when you are embarrassed, when you are upset, and you have laughter without any reason, actually. So it is like with cats and purring. That's again, it's very new research. We still don't know why most cats purr and some, you know, purring. Pronounce it properly. I thought you were saying <laughs> pudding in all honesty. <laughs> okay, well, like that's one like of puddings. the words. <laughs> what to say? Purring. Purring. That's, that's good. But, but now we do know that cats purr when they are happy, when they are in pain, and when they are sick, when they are dying. And so, why? Because we figure it out that purring for cats allows them to sleep for 18 hours a day because purring is their exercise. By purring on different frequencies, cats actually restore their bodies. There's an old veterinarian saying which says, if you put a bag of broken bones into the room and a cat, they will repair themselves. Today we do know that that's exactly what is being done. This is a inborn strategy for cats to survive. It's very interesting. This is new research and guess how this research is being used? By NASA. Because when you send astronauts into cosmos, they don't have many options to exercise. So they're going to so we use vibrations. I'm just thinking they're teaching the astronauts to purr while asleep. I thought no. they're going to send cats into This is all no, about vibrations and frequency. Okay, Layton and I wish I hadn't mentioned that. I'm very friendly with vibrations. <laughs> and this is I wish I didn't mention that. This is a different frequency. Rats are the animals that love too on very different frequency, the frequency that you cannot hear. 
but why do they have this, what we would call voiceless laughter? Think about it, how many animals are after rats? And so when the rat is laughing, maybe he doesn't or she doesn't want to laugh too loud because somebody will not like predator. Exactly. What if the joke's really funny, though? Yeah. Well, it actually, if they have a sense of, of humor, it will be nasty. <laughs> but they do laugh. This is, they do laugh. And you can, you can hear it when you play with them, when you tickle them, and so on. So this is I all connected. I've never tickled a rat. I've never tickled a rat. <laughs> well, I can show you I've, the video of tickling a rat. I've eaten a rat, but I've never yeah. tickled a rat. I would have well, thought the laughter center would have been pretty near the sex and chocolate center. Well, this is... <laughs> you These right. are reward centers of the brain. I, exactly. I yeah. This I is where, you know, that's not when the laughter center is, but when it's being processed. Ah. And so it is, it works the same way as chocolate, sex, drugs, yep. and so on. It increases dopamine. This is why laughter is really good medicine. As you know, well, a lot of people in the United States and abroad are depressed. Well, in the past you were unhappy and then you made yourself happy, everything was fine. Today we just go and get another pill. According to the recent data, at least one-third of American population is depressed. And the so-called brain pill is the most popular pill well, yeah, in when the United I was in... States. You just pop pills because you want to feel better. But unfortunately, as we also know, and depends on the research, between 30 to 45 percent of uh, people who are taking antidepressants, this is a very small percentage of the people who are taking antidepressants, are helped. The rest, if you do your map, math, right? I was later, thinking of a map. You, you math. Keep... I've been teaching for three geography. hours. Geography. geography. I'm, I'm looking at a map, but 30% map with I map. can't find it. Yeah. 30 to 45% of people only benefit from antidepressants. And all antidepressants have side effects. So think about it. If through the research on laughter, identifying how it works, how it is connected, and so on, if we can replace Prozac, Xanax, and all the other stuff, with laughter. So instead of decreasing the depression in a chemical way, we will increase what is stopping us, I mean, what is helping us to cope with that. And that's what we're trying to do with this show, right? Oh, well, actually, I was thinking about uh, my sister-in-law. You know which one I'm talking about. Never smiles, that sort of thing. I'm thinking laughter probably wouldn't help her, but if we put a headband on that shocked her right in that area, I think that would work. At the very least. <laughs> no, but it is, you know, but this is the truth. You know, think about it. Instead of having all these antidepressants, all these brain pills, you do have, if we can bottle laughter, if we will have people actually doing laughing therapy, and there are many, you know, churches, groups which do laughing therapy, but they have no idea what they are doing. But if we can com uh, compile, and there's plenty to start with scientific data to show the, um, how laughter really helps people to deal not only with depression, but actually to increase their immune system. Because if you laugh for 15 minutes with this belly laughter, really not, you know, just really happy, happy it's laughter, exercise. It's it's exercise. it is 
fantastic exercise. And actually, I think that there was a study I was just looking for that, that uh, if you do it for 10, 15 minutes a day, you will lose like uh, five pounds or 10 pounds just, just because of laughing. Holy shit. That's, you know. <laughs> good exercise. No, it's a good exercise. Well, look I at, won't argue that. I can eat as Well, look at me. Look how skinny I am. Look at me. <laughs> I, you know what? Do you want to get on a scale right now and prove which of us laughs the most? Mm, I do. <laughs> I do it for a living. I teach a class. <laughs> I can say, when I was in medical school from 94 to 98, the number one drug prescribed in Utah was Prozac. Mm -hmm. It was briefly eclipsed by Fenfen, and then that was taken off the market, and it's Prozac again. So what that says, essentially, is that Utah is filled with fat, depressed people. Which, judging by walking down the street, I can attest to. <laughs> Go to any place in downtown Salt Lake and uh, yeah. so the local cult Mormonism isn't doing his job keeping the population happy it, it kind of reminds me my mother I gotta tell this story so I'm living up in New York and my mother actually flies up to visit me and she's staying in New York for a week and I'm taking her around the subways and such mm -hmm. as we're moving around and this one day she's looking around and she's just like you know I'm constantly amazed by New York there aren't any fat people She's like, maybe they're all just walking around. She's like, because back in Utah, there's all sorts of fat people. Well, not only in Utah. Well, it's okay. across the country, yeah. It's it, across the country. If you but look, the last 20 years, it's an epidemic. And you start wondering why. Not enough people are listening to our show. That's yeah, why. If they would that's listen, we would make truth. them laugh. <laughs> I mean, there, there just aren't enough enema jokes out there. Oh, my. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm no. sure we can figure one out for that. All right. Um, I don't know. You, you have anything you else to say about anthropology of humor? Let's move on to Egypt. Oh, you want to move to totally Egypt? I mean, there's plenty to, to say about anthropology of yeah, humor and yeah. laughter. You're ruining my One thing, <laughs> you know, there are a few things that you have to remember. It's a great class. It's a fun class. But it's very offensive. And you will be forced to think in good English. So that's... Half good, half bad. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, um, I don't think you need to warn our listeners about offense, because if they're listening I, I to us... This, but you know you can have some redundant. accidental listeners. Oh, the, the ones who just kind of stumble across you. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Egypt. All right. Sure you got well, I don't know, let me finish, because, you know, anthropology yeah, of humor one. and laughter <clears throat> is offered on Wednesdays from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock. So you don't have an excuse, I but you do want... the evening. This is in the evening. I do not think at 6 o'clock in the morning. So the other class that you are so much interested in is called Anthropological Archaeology of Ancient Egypt. This is the class about ancient Egypt. It's all about the religion, of course, because ancient Egypt was all about religion. So in this class, we discuss archaeological discoveries in Egypt in chronological order. We talk about afterlife. We talk, of course, about pyramids. I cannot teach Egypt without pyramids. You know how bored I am with the pyramids. Well, the pyramids were created by aliens, right? Or yeah. Hebrews. Hebrews, that's right. The enslaved Hebrews yeah. are what created uh, well, the pyramids. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned aliens and Hebrews. Are we talking about the same or two different groups? Well, same illegal. Exactly. Illegal. Mexicans. Illegal okay. Hebrews. Illegal <laughs> 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 Okay, to educate you more. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pyramids 
were not built by slaves. Ooh, you gotta, you gotta. You just have to record that and mail it to your yeah, sister. Yeah, see, I actually got into a huge argument with my sister-in-law about the fact that uh, it was uh, labor during during the off season from uh, planting. And I harvesting. taught you well. He took yes. my class. No, this was before Absolutely. I even met you. <laughs> she was convinced that it was slaves. Yeah, in fact, uh, I think the winning point of the argument is when I started pulling out facts and she said, "You can't use facts because I haven't had time to study things." <laughs> and yet she's certain she's right. She's certain she's right. And this <laughs> is a woman who has a bachelor's in history. Oh, that's painful. But it's a bachelor's in history from an Alaskan college, so we can't speak well, too Well, there are different parts of history you emphasize, just like philosophy, right? Well, well having a degree history. doesn't mean oh, that you are smart. Yeah, this is a professor we're talking to, right? Or that's not. Right. Yeah. What's your PhD in? In anthropology. Anthropology. You told me it was sandwich making. Uh, well, that's the whole... She's a woman. <laughs> She's had lots of practice. A Polish woman. Yes. Raising Catholic Poland. What else do you want to add? Of course, by definition, I have to know how to make sandwiches. The only thing I'm and wondering is why you never learned to make soup, because your soup is horrible. You never had my soup. That's the reason why it's horrible. Why haven't you made me any soup yet? Because I don't like soups. Oh. Sandwiches are hey, sandwiches. I was married to the Polish husband, okay? I'm done with cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you have a favorite pharaoh. Who's your favorite pharaoh? Oh, that's a... Huh. That's uh, a good question. I've got my favorite pharaoh. Who's your favorite? Sneferu. I mean, this guy... He built three pyramids. I mean, he's going against the grain by building the pyramid in and of itself. The first two failed. He's right. already getting old. Oh, no, no, they didn't fail. One well, failed. the bent pyramid. Uh, the failed, but not the failed. first one. It wasn't, the per <laughs> it wasn't perfect, <laughs> so he just kept building. No, it literally failed because it started to crack. Yeah, yeah the that's first why they one used the, it, but the first used the one timbers. didn't. That's where they, uh, why didn't he use the first one? Well, the first one was actually he was finishing the pyramid for his father, Huni, oh, in Mayo. see, that I didn't know. Gotcha. And that's the first true pyramid because he had no, this. No, 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 no. No, that's no, the no. bent pyramid. No, it actually depends what you call a pyramid, yeah. what is the first pyramid. But the first true pyramid is the second pyramid built by Snofro in Dashur, the so-called Red Pyramid, oh. my favorite one. Of course, see, I, I, we have a connection. It's yes. absolutely the best pyramid, and the pyramid of Cheops has mistakes in it. But this discovery ah. channel will never tell you about it. <laughs> That's why the pharaoh was never buried there. So you just, just picture that for so many years they're building this pyramid, okay? And the end, they screwed up. Who is going to tell the king? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Remember, Cheops had a very bad reputation. We know from Herodotus, you know, many, many centuries later, that he was such a horrible ruler. Everybody hated him and he hated everyone. And he also prostituted his daughter. So for each trick, she will get one stone for his pyramid. So you just figure it out the map because it's estimated that Kelp's pyramid has 2,300,000 stones in it. She was a busy woman. You gotta fund that somehow. Yeah, the, yeah. did they discover Vaseline during this process? <laughs> Lita, what's wrong with you? I had to ask. Two million? I mean, come on. There, there has to be some sort of lubrication. No, I think that you need to find a girlfriend. <laughs> well, no woman would have me. I mean, really. After clearly. this program, your chances are gone, girl. 
So anyway, continue. Continue. That was your snafro. So why did you like snafro? Just that and the fact that uh, he was the one that came up with the whole story about parting the waters because his little maiden had dropped her uh, her. What did you read this one? You don't know about snafro parting the waters? It wasn't snafro. It was his high priest. Well, his high priest. Some story told about snafro where she's. She gave her a gift, a necklace. She drops it into the ocean. She's crying. He said, oh, fine, I'll get you a new one. I said, I don't want a new one. I want this one. So he had his magician come part the waters, and he grabbed it. Yeah, he grabbed it, gave it back out of it. So that, I think that's my favorite, just because I would, I mean, I'm thinking that's You will do it for a woman, too. Yes. (laughs) I would part those waters like you would not believe. (laughs) I'm glad it's not visual. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite pharaoh. You know, pro- probably being a woman, I should say that it's Hatshepsut. But no, I don't know if I have my favorites. I I know whom I consider to be the the unluckiest, the unhappiest person in the world, documented from the most dysfunctional <laughs> family. You're talking about a Ptolemy? Ptolemy. No! No? The Ptolemy? How can you go further than the Ptolemies? Those guys were just screwed Killing up. each other right and left. Yeah. That's pretty unlikely. Okay, I mean, here's the story. Have you heard about the Amarna period? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Have you heard about the Pharaoh-Keretic Akhenaten? Akhenaten? I'm sorry. Akhenaten. Who built Akhenaten? I just thought about it. But you heard about King Tut. Of course. What is the name of King Tut's wife? Oh, it's, uh... It's, um, Come on, guys! Right, Think uh, mommy movies! Imhotep and... <laughs> Ankesanamen. Ankesanamen, yes, that's right. Got it. Which was Ankesanaten before they changed it back to Ankesanamen. Same with Tutankhamun. Okay, okay. how many husbands did Ankesanamun have? She had at least had two. two because she had Tutankhamun and I, I at least, that I know of. I, they found the rings with... Uh, yeah. with yeah. She have how another about? one? Well, she was going to have a Hittite prince that was yes. no, 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 they no. killed him. She tried, but, but uh, you see, <laughs> they the you see, go back, go back in time. How could she go Doesn't back it? further? They she were was like, like ten years old. Lovers. She started. She married her father. Well, this Akhenaten. is news to me. Akhenaten. She married her father. That is unlucky. Yeah, well, Out of all the people. You marry your was father very, and very then your young. brother. That's... <laughs> no, it's getting better because she was probably married, as some scholars want to believe, to the ruler before King Tut, to Smenkaure. Who might not be Smenkaure, it could be Queen Nefertiti as Smenkaure, but it's still being debated. And then she married King Tut. King Tut was nine years old. She probably, she was older than he was, but not by much, maybe 15, 16. And then he drops dead all this stupid broken bone yeah. that led to the infection, and she has to marry I. And who was I? He's a vizier. I was the vizier, yeah, the one... Think family, dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional. <laughs> no. I have no idea whose I's who ancestors got? are. He was probably father of Nefertiti. That makes him grandfather of Agnes Amun. He was the father of Nefertiti? Yes. I was? Holy shit. I had shit. no idea. I had no idea about that. Okay. So she's and who was, who was? <laughs> so far. Okay. So, so, so far, far you have father, two brothers, brothers, and grandfather. And grandfather. Oh, you can wow. put it different. Who? Father, grandfather, 
and either two brothers or two uncles, because oh, we do yeah. not know relationship of Svenkaur and King Tad to Akhenaten. Half-brother or uncle, yeah, or that's uncle, right. Yeah. It's unclear that whole period. It's unclear, we just, we wish, you know, we will get DNA results from the mummies that we have, that we know that they are, for example, of King Tut. Right. And the ones that we suspect to be part of the Amarna family. Yeah, they think uh, they found Smekakari's tomb, but it was smashed so much that it's, it's hard to uh, The it's tomb, hard tomb that you are talking yeah. about, it's called KV-55, which is the Valley of the Kings 55. And there was a body found there at the beginning of the 20th century by American, by American archaeologist Theodore Davies. It's an actually great publication. He wanted to see in this body a woman. So this tomb is called as the tomb of Quintia. By the way, who was Quintia? A wife of Amenhotep III, a mother of Akhenaten. That's right. And she was not of royal origin. Quintia. Tia. I thought you were saying Quintia. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, she, Tia. She was the one, uh, wasn't she the one where the uh, the great lakes were built for her to sail her boat? Or am I thinking of a different one? Oh, Amen Hotebe third and love her to death. Yeah, see, that's she what I'm was talking about. Yeah. They, I mean, she yeah. got everything yeah, she wanted. They didn't stop him uh, from marrying their two daughters, because Amenhotep III married Sita Moon and probably Isis, and they were daughters of Tia. What we were? Your uh, favorite Tia. pharaoh. You were talking about the unlikely. Oh, KV-55. Yes. When Davis found this tomb there, there was a body that he immediately identified, and he just got one of the medical doctors to say so, that it was the body of the woman. That's why they call it. Quintia's tomb, but it's not. There's no doubt that it was the body of a man, young man, 20, 25, who could be Smenkaure. Right. Who could be Smenkaure? Who was found in the tomb, but it was not her sarcophagus, but her shrine. It was among all the other mm -hmm. stuff that were found in the tomb. And it's we still don't know for whom this tomb was built. It's been a hundred years, we haven't identified it yet. No, <clears throat> Lazy. Yeah, well, you no, know, you want some Egyptologist. more trivia. Some more trivia. The mask, the gold mask of King Tad, uh -huh. probably if there was Menkaure, probably was actually prepared for Smenkaure. Huh. And some of his, and some stuff from King Tad's tomb sure. is of Smenkaure, while in this tomb of Queen Tia, who happened to be a man with the smash, uh, smashed uh, mask, somebody didn't want for us to know who this person right. was, because it's very confusing the way her body is being laid and the decoration and so on. It sort of indicates that it was a female. So we are really very much confused about it, but some of the stuff that King Tut probably would take it to, uh, to his tomb as he planned ended up in Smenkaure slash Tia slash whatever, whoever tomb. Sure. It's fascinating. Yeah, King Tut died unexpectedly, so they didn't have a whole lot of time to amass all this stuff and there was no probably was buried in in i's tomb wasn't he and, and then actually you know actually that was the other way around okay <laughs> it's uh, he was preparing the tomb in which i was probably buried later oh, I but he you. died unexpectedly yeah, yeah. and so he got the tomb that was probably for someone else but for whom we are not really sure there gotcha. was a small tomb and, you know, no frills to. Sure. The only reason that wasn't ever invaded, I guess, was because it was under a bunch of uh, 
pilings of rocks that from other excavations? Mm, almost. Oh, so close. Ramses what is the your sea. Egypt history? <laughs> Ramses the Six. He had a tomb nearby, and when his tomb was being built, the workers' village was on top of King Tut's tomb. Gotcha. So every time when the robbers got that, they got this boring everyday stuff, so there was nothing to... Gotcha. Because it had actually been entered once or twice it in antiquity. It hadn't gone too far back. It yeah. was probably entered almost immediately after King Tad was buried there. We suspect that, uh, you know, the robbers got in and they started to load, you know, and then the guards must have heard them. And because you could see that they were running... Right. Through the current, just sort of like dropping the objects. Right. Or and tossed the, back in from yes. the guard. And yeah. uh, the tomb was resealed. Right. So at least once. So right. so we've discussed her favorite, we've discussed my favorite. Are you saying Tutmosis III is yours? Uh, it's close between Tutmosis III and Ramses. I well, really, you're thinking really because like of Ramses. their battle stories. Yeah, they, uh, they've got yeah. great battle stories. You want um, to hear funny story about the Tutmosis <laughs> III? Yes, I do. Always, always. It's coming from, you know, I, 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 I've been teaching ancient Egypt for a long period of time. One of the questions on my previous exams a long time ago was, would you please list achievements of Tutmosis III? Most of the students, as a first achievement, listed. Probably kill Hatshepsut and erased her name. <laughs> <laughs> How this is an achievement? That's not an achievement. That's, well, he, he delayed he, doing that for a long time. He did delay it. It was actually... Well, some scholars suspect that maybe he didn't even do it. Oh, really? Okay, later yeah, on. Yes, see, I'd, I'd heard it was always delayed and that it was probably to bring Egypt back towards its roots of... They were at their roots. Nobody ever said that a woman cannot be oh. a pharaoh. But that's going against the seam. We all know that Egypt falls as soon as you introduce anything unique. Different. That wasn't of the divine order. <laughs> that wasn't of the divine order. There is nowhere in Egyptian sources prohibition for a woman to be a pharaoh. Well, why was she wearing the pharaoh's beard then? This is why I'm not particularly fond of her. <laughs> she was not a pharaoh. <laughs> I cannot, I mean, I... You know, I cannot explain why people wear things that they do wear. <laughs> but, you know, she wanted to do it. But you have other women who were pharaohs that didn't do that. She was a transvestite. That's true. That's well, but true. That, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is always a story of Hatshepsut and Senenwood. So, you right, know, right. we just never know. There's some drawings with, some nasty drawings. With oh, not from... <laughs> 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 graffiti. Not from I love ancient graffiti. No, no, These no, guys no. were good. No, no. But this is... If you are talking, because, if you are talking about X-rated papyrus, that's a Turin papyrus, not from Hatshepsut. <laughs> I'm talking about... Just to be... Like workers on tomb walls and stuff. They do this graffiti. Well, they they did, but they did it on other tombs too. I it was nothing you. personal. <laughs> it was just good old. Just, it's our uh, it's their version of internet pornography. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Well, I can see a bunch of workers out there taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So explain well, we, explain your favorites here. Well, like I said, Tutmos the Third had that um, battle where. They wanted to go around, right? Yeah, there was a and, huge mountain barrier. And they said, you can't go straight through no. because they can, yeah, yeah they can uh, ambush us and we're going to be caught in between these two things and we'll be killed. And he said, look, I'm God. I'm the Pharaoh. 
follow me, you know, don't don't have any uh, doubts, I'll take you through. And so they went through, and the enemies, were they the Hittites? No. The enemies, whoever they were, <laughs> had, had totally expected he was going to go through the other way, and so he came around and um, attacked him from attacked behind. Him and, 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 you know, the problem was that he couldn't, <laughs> the pass was so narrow. Yeah, it would take days to get the entire and, army And, you know, it through. was just basically exposing yourself to the enemy. If the enemy happened to be there, but nobody thought that he would be that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you and know, so that, crazy is, people rule. I, I agree. Tutmosis III is, is one of my favorites as well. Just for that, he's just like, hey, I am the god, you follow me. I am not afraid. How can I lose? Be. How can I lose? <laughs> well, you know, if I were with him, I would have told him you lost for 20 years because you were not in power, Hatshepsut was. So, yes, you can lose. <laughs> and you lost 20 years. Oh, a dig in the Tutmosis when you don't even like Hatshepsut. He's just being respectful to his mother. Being it was his mother. What opportunity. To. He was a mama's boy. Come on. <laughs> Never mind, let's not go there. <laughs> well, All right. There are ways to go there. Should we wrap that one up and then move to the next? Okay, so this class yes, is... Yes, did yes. I tell you already what... Nope. No, you yeah. didn't tell us when the time. Tuesdays from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock. She likes these evening Well, you do the three-hour ones a lot. Yeah, I like three hours. I like three hours because I like to talk a lot. And, you know, one hour is not good enough. You can't enough. be contained inside one hour. And so it Do is, you sew you know, cushions with your, uh, with your class? <laughs> no, I take breaks. Preparation age. Preparation age. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I have to put up with you guys. <laughs> okay. So the last class is death, rituals, and mummification. And this is across... This isn't just Egypt. This is no. across multiple civilizations. Yes. So... What is the most interesting, in your opinion, death ritual? Oh, well, there are a few of them. How about smashing the, most, the children for the Incas or the Mayans? I, yeah. Well, the human sacrifices in Mesoamerica are very interesting. But, you know, the best-looking mummies that I've seen are in China, but the best-looking mummies that I want to see are Chinchora. Really? Yes. What about the peat moss mummies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like those. You see... The best mummies in the world are the Chinchoros. Have you ever heard about the Chinchoros? No, no. Atacama Desert. Can nope. you place it on the continent? No, I have no idea. Peru, Chile. No, Atacama no, Desert. Close. Peru is the... Uh, you and, just... Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you know that these are the oldest mummies in the world? No. How old are they? Really? And well, guess. Well, how old are Egyptian mummies? Let's well, start with a simple thing that everybody knows. Sneferu is probably 2,600. We don't have his mummy. Well, do we have any First Dynasty mummies? Well, unfortunately, no. no. We don't have any royal mummies. So we're talking Second, Third Dynasty. Well, well you see, we can say... We have pyramids. With, <laughs> with the Egyptians, we can say that they started to experiment it with uh, mummification probably at the beginning of an early dynastic period, so by the end of the 4th millennium BC. And the reason was Whoa. that... So around the that time... They of, were experimenting, but right. they didn't have this whole process of mummification. And right. the first experimentations could be very simple, like, uh, and we wouldn't know, thank you to French researchers who discovered, for example, a mummy in Jersey tomb. I mean, not the mummy, the arm, but they just took bracelets and oh, threw yeah, the arm into right. the garbage. Yeah, yeah, they threw oh. that away. Oh. oh, I hate that. And yes, we because hate the guy cut that the because we, he, don't, we just don't yeah. know whether they try to mummify it or they just put... Uh, 
raisin into the bandages and bandages so it kept the shape. So we really don't know. Gotcha. The uh, so you know the, we know that the first well mummification mm -hmm. as we know it, not the full set as described by Herodotus, actually is from the old kingdom. So although we don't have royal mummies from the old kingdom, but we have some noble, nobles and so on. But that brings us to the third millennium BC. Okay, even if we stretch it to 3100 BC that they try to mummify, Chinchoro mummies are much older. So it has to be at least 5100 years old. How about 7000 BC? Good. 5500 BC. Woo! They were mummies well, before that period. It's even yeah. better. Because I'm the first that mummies kills the young Earth creationists. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling us they were mummifying people before the Earth you was know, created? I'm yes. <laughs> Are these mummies Adam and Eve? Have we found the Garden of Eden? <laughs> I've been in Garden of Eden. In Missouri. In Missouri. No. That's, in, that's where the Mormons Iraq. say it is. Oh, in Iraq. Iraq. They oh, don't Joseph know. Smith. It, Joseph said it was Smith. Iraq. <laughs> How many times do I have to repeat it over he's, and over he's and still over trying again? To get me to say it's no Iran. It's on, no man. Iraq. It's Iran you, and Iran. Isn't it's, there some sort of poem about Iraning into Iraq? <laughs> it is painful being Leighton's friend. <laughs> well, thank you. Painful. I, I have great deep feelings in my bowels for you, too. <laughs> so 5,500 BC, yes. 7,500 years ago. Yes, and not only that. It's not like, you know, Egyptian process. Everybody knows about it. They look like him. They actually reconstructed the whole human being looking differently. So what they did, they when the mummy, well, when the person died, before they turned it into the mummy, they decapitated the head. Defleshed the body completely, and remember, these people were not said. Uh, they were people who were living in small bands of thirty to forty people. They have to only, be using, they were only fishing. They were they not. Obsidian. They didn't have a yeah. cultivation. They didn't have obsidian tools. They were just very happy living on the beach, Chinchora Beach, happens to be, and they were, you know. Fishing and catching, you know, seafood, whatever. How are they cutting the yeah, flesh off people? Yeah, how would they people? be fleshing it if they don't have a they seed were the, or anything? You can deflesh it with flint. Well, that's true. I mean, you just flint. You don't worry right. about breaking it off into the well, cadaver. Doesn't really matter. You it's have good. forty people <laughs> and twenty-four hours. How many fish you can uh, eat? Yeah. Okay, but <laughs> then you <laughs> think about it. They deflesh. They break the legs and then they build the frame. And they were attaching the bones and using the rope. Wow. And they were covering with different paste. And they were flattening. They were, you know, very scalp the body. And they were attaching the hair. And this is like masks. It's incredible. It's a huge process. It's a huge process. Obviously, they had time to do it. And they mummified everything. Like everyone in the society. So they mummified And this is why she likes it. There's a lot of evidence. And children and... Fetus. Huh. Quite amazing. And we can prove that. It's quite amazing. We don't know why. We don't know their afterlife beliefs. We know that some of his mummies may must have been exhibited because they were repaired. Huh. So they were displayed. But it's it's we have no clue. They did it. 
for long period of time. They here's, eventually here's abandoned my mummification in 1700. Here, here's my theory. You know that okay. exhibit where they have the I plasticized, <laughs> the plasticized versions of all the dissections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they, it was. A, it was yeah. It was, it was a plastimation. Plastimation. Yeah. It, it, it was medical school in 7500 BC. Yeah. Well, too bad they didn't pass on their medical texts. It probably <laughs> there was no writing. Think about it. Other cultures did not mummify fetai at all. Right. Right. Yeah. It was. They're not considered people, basically. And so, but here we do have it, and we were, uh, well, the scholars were able to prove it, but it's very difficult because we don't have a bone structure. So you don't know what is inside sure, right. of the, inside of, you know, mummy package, as I call it. But these are fascinating. These are the mummies that I really want to see, so maybe I should start a campaign, send Eva to Chile. Right. Yeah. Are they on display? Were they kept on Well, the they are some, uh, well, they are not very well published. So, but I know my friend, uh, my friend uh, two or three years ago went to see them because I made her to do it. And she was absolutely, I mean, flabbergasted how many of them are. So many of them are being huh. simply, you know, in storage rooms and so on. But it's just, it's absolutely amazing. So these are my most favorite mummies. But it's not only about, you know, mummifications, about death rituals, which it involves what happens to a human body when you die. That's nothing pleasant. I use a pig. You know, I use pictures of the pig deterioration of the body because I didn't think that. You mummified pig? I, I, I was but actually, you know, no, 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 the decay of pigs. And I was actually in her class when she was showing this. And I'm looking around and a bunch of the women were like going like this with their mouths going, mm. <laughs> And a bunch of men did exactly the same. I realize. Except that. that you were looking at the women only. Well, yeah. why would I look at men? I've already had my share of men. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you bring in a pig in various stages of decay? Uh, not, no. Not a pig. Uh, uh, Pictures. Photo yes, photo. I do have, you gotcha. know, I use the PowerPoint. I use PowerPoint presentations to all the classes, but... So but basically you go fantastic. around the cemeteries, dig up bodies, and, and take pictures, pictures of them in various stages of decay. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you getting these pictures? Well, it's, you know, have you ever heard it about seems, the internet? It seems illegal. Well, see, we don't prize our knowledge of the internet around here. Well, I do not prize the knowledge of internet because I was misquoted so many times, and I'm being, in, you know, in strange sides, I'm being offered as... My name is like, this is an authority of Dr. Eva Vashiska. No, I never said that. <laughs> that is a huge problem in America. I don't know if it's around the world, but journalists um, completely misconstruing or willfully changing. Uh, changing what the scientists say to, you know, it's always about this is a new discovery or it completely overturns this theory so they can do headlines and stuff. So you end up being interviewed and then it says something totally different. Well, you see, I wrote an article because one of my research, uh, well, I do have a lot of things that I'm doing, but I am working on the life of Professor Edgar James Banks. This is a most fantastic, I mean, the guy was an archaeologist, dealer in antiquities. He was in the movies in Hollywood. I mean, it's just working with Demille. In twenties, incredible story. A lot of records are burned, disappeared, and I'm trying to reconstruct his life. Years ago, I did an article for Washington Times for Word and I about him, not telling everything, but just giving you know interesting things. And I came up with a title, which uh, was the Forgotten Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was in quotation. That was you know that's how I called sure. him. Get on the internet, 
put Indiana Jones banks. Everybody will tell you that he was a prototype for Indiana Jones. You know how many times I had to send emails to people saying, no, I never said that. He, Spielberg never heard about banks. There was no prototype. It was his imagination. People are having websites about who was Indiana Jones. And because I supposedly said that he was a real Indiana Jones, then of course, you know, that is absolutely not true. But you know, that's how information it, it being comes spread. with fame and celebrity. It seems to me that the crux of the problem is you talking. If we can just get you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he's going to do a lot of begging for a third interview. <laughs> oh, you love us around here. Excellent. You can't stay away. So we have mummies from South America. From we have mummies from all over the world. I talk China. about Siberian mummies. And I talk about, of course, Stalin Basin mummies in China. I actually went to China to see these mummies in person. And these were what time period for the Chinese Well, mummies? the uh, Tarim Basin mummies, the oldest one, is dated like 4,000 years ago. And what is so fascinating about these mummies, they are Caucasoid mummies. So they're us. They, well, yeah, white males <laughs> in English. They're as close as you can get in China. <laughs> Which was yet another amazing discovery by an accident. Then, well, the Chinese archaeologists had these mummies before, and they kept them in the museum at Urumqi, western China, Xinjiang province, which is mostly inhabited by uh, Turkic people. You know, you heard about them as Uyghur, Uyghur, they are Kazakhs and so on. But, of course, it's a part of China, so Han Chinese are putting more and more people there. There was, uh, you know, uprisings there not so long ago in the summer, but we still don't know the whole story. But anyway, it's Professor Victor Meyer, who is an uh, American archaeologist working in China, so absolutely fantastic man, with uh, some unusual ideas, a great professor. He just, I, I never remember why he ended up in Urumqi. Nobody wants to be in Urumqi. <laughs> Picture that is, you know, another communistic city full of concrete, there is nothing pretty, nothing, and there is nothing to do there. So he went to the local museum and he almost had a heart attack because he was staring the face of his mummies. Well, he asked Chinese archaeologists, oh yeah, we got them in the desert. What was so amazing that they had blonde hair, red hair, they had high cheekbones, they didn't look in any way and shape and form like any Chinese, Chinese or Mongoloid people living in the Vikings. Area. Red hair, they got to be Vikings. And it's just, uh, well, you're getting closer. Could be Scottish. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Was there a kilt involved? And were actually, they flashing people? Actually, Celts. they were not... Celts. Yes. Celts. How do we know? Well, they, so the people... Caucasoid people, in all probability speaking, in the European language, which uh, we believe it was Tocharian or Tokarian language that was recorded by Buddhist priests uh, many years later. And uh, they were living there together with, you know, Turkic people and Chinese people and so on. So the mummies are dated from 4,000 years ago throughout, you know, 2,000-something years, and the population was, you know, the percentage of population was changing there. 
They, everything is perfectly preserved. They really look at you. They, they are just so, uh, so absolutely unbelievable. It was mostly natural mummification with some human intervention. Textiles are beautifully preserved. And the way how the textiles are woven is the same way as the Celts did theirs. Huh. Fascinating. Time period. Fascinating. Distance. So, of course, you know, I also talk about bog mummies. Right. Yeah. And the triple yep. killing and so on. So, we, we just go through the most uh, fascinating or most known mummies. How far do you go back? Do you go through Neanderthal uh, death rituals? No. Because they buried their dead, right? They buried their dead. But, uh, but uh, uh, no, we don't go that far because, no... I have to stick to the definition of mummy, which is very fluid. Basically, you call a mummy a mummy if there is something of the flesh or hair preserved. Gotcha. Well, I'm curious. Do you cover the one? I think it's in Tibet. It was a mummy found. He's sitting in the Buddha position. And basically, how he was mummified is he had been starving mummification Yeah, and he was strangling himself. Very little sources we have on the um, uh, self-mummification. And uh, they are some uh, Japanese priests who did that. But uh, it, uh, this practice was forbidden. But it's very interesting because uh, as, much, as little as we know, as little as we know, the process was very long and must have been very painful because it was not only starving themselves. It was going through the annual process of limiting uh, drinks and food and eventually locking themselves up and we're surrounded by the candles to drive the body even more and having like a bell so you know when the bell didn't ring it meant that the person actually is full mummy it's, it's amazing but there are some other interesting mummies didn't David Carradine die the same way? We can only hope. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. They were not laughing a lot. <laughs> Maybe we should teach them your class. Yes. That would help. Yeah, well, uh, that's an idea how to teach my mommy to laugh, right? So the class is Death Rituals Mummification? Mm -hmm. When is it taught? It is taught on Thursdays from 2 to 5. Oh, you're going to say 6 to 9? <laughs> no. No, no. 2 to 5. Thursday, 2 to 5. Yes, another and so three-hour class. Are, hey, they are offered through, you know, anthro, uh, Anthropology of Humor is Anthro 2040. And I have to tell you, for the next year, I got diversity requirement for this class as well as social behavior sciences. Excellent. So, so part of I'm the liberal very education. Happy. Yes, I'm very happy about it. And Ancient Egypt is being taught under anthropology number. 3329 and the graduate number 6329 and through Middle East Center because it's a part of curriculum of the Middle East Center and Death and Rituals is taught under 3690 and 5690 so it's this class is anthropology of human above an undergraduate and graduate level but it means I will torture my graduate students more than undergraduate <laughs> students so take it early so, anthropology is one of the things that, in college that um, I really didn't take enough of, I think. I would love to go back there and take a ton of anthropology courses. You see, anthropo a lot of people, when they think anthropology, they think physical anthropology. They don't think about cultural anthropology. They don't think about um, evolutionary ecology. Right, right. 
and uh, there's so many dis sub disciplines of uh, anthropology and we are lucky here at the University of Utah because we have, believe it or not, the University of Utah, Department of Anthropology, has three members of Academy of Science. Show me another Department of Anthropology in the United States with three members of huh. Academy of Science. We should compare that with BYU. I think they might have some. I don't no. know. No. <laughs> No, of course not. But then, yeah, it's <laughs> no, it, it's really it's a fascinating thing because you can move from one thing to another. Now genetics, which are also part of anthropological studies, so a lot of things. Uh, you know, this is why I love what I'm doing because I started as archaeologist, become cultural anthropologist, and right now, I just try to combine everything together. I mean, right now, if I had a choice, what I would do, I will, I would work on neurology, on the brain. That I find completely fascinating. But anthropology allows you to connect all the different fields. And you can always find something for yourself there. But can you find a job after you graduate? Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> well, well yeah, why don't we ask Matt, your good friend who's now an airline He's pilot. a pilot. And I, you know, Well, he found a job. He did. I yes, can't talk did. either because my undergraduate degree was in philosophy. So. But you see, you know, just let's face it. The degree... BA in social sciences, humanities, arts, is useless. <laughs> it's right, like you, you end up not going into that field, but it, no. it provides you tools. It provides you tools whatever to do job something you use, yeah. else. So, Absolutely. you know, what I always tell my students, you love anthropology, combine it with something else. Mm -hmm. Get a degree, like for example, in business or in law, combine it. It's going to work for you. I mean, I had a student a long time ago, and he actually contacted me a year ago or something, thanking me. He said, I took your class on ancient Egypt and ancient Mesopotamia. And he said, I never thought that it would be useful. Now I'm a big lawyer, and boy, I'm having so much fun using the ancient laws. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's really... It's about humans. It's about human nature. And it helps you with any job. If you study, of course, because if you don't study... You're out late. It doesn't uh, help you with anything. I should leave the room now. That well, I, I'd love to have you back to talk specifically about Sumeria and Mesopotamia. Sumer. Uh, Sumer. Sumer. <laughs> Sumer. And you're... <laughs> You're talking about me stating things wrong? <laughs> you see, guys, sometimes I think that you have me here so I will correct you and you will go for another few months making actually proper pronunciation. No, I can't. No, we don't I care about make, that. We don't care about pronunciation around here. <laughs> you have serious gaps in your education. <laughs> we do what we can. That's I would love to have you back to talk about ancient Sumer and Mesopotamia. Wasn't it Sumeria? Yes, Sumeria. Okay. Sumeria. We'll have you back on for Sumeria. <laughs> well, you will, you will be begging me for long time. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, it's always my pleasure to be here. So much fun to talk with you guys. Excellent. All right. Thanks for coming.